You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from House for All Sinners and Saints. We are an Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregation in Denver, Colorado, and you can find out more about us at www.houseforall.org. Grace, peace, and mercy are yours from the triune God. A few years ago, I read a book by the Beyonce of Japan called The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. The author of the book, Marie Kondo, is so famous for her tidying that she can't go out in public anymore. Raised as a Shinto Buddhist and taught about the spirit in all things, she rose to fame after the 2011 tsunami. Her tidy habits spoke to folks who had lost their entire homes and now had to move whole families into small 10 by 10 shelter spaces. Kondo's first instruction for tidying is to get rid of anything that doesn't bring you joy. And how do you know if it brings you joy? You take it off the shelf, you clap over it to wake it up, and see if its spirit sparks joy in your spirit. So I diligently took all of my clothes out of my closet, clapped them awake, and what do you know? Most of them did not spark joy. Out they went, along with most self-help books, random junk drawer nails, half-used hotel shampoo, and plenty of appliances meant to make the perfect modern waffle that I never got around to waffling. After I discarded all unjoyful objects in my house, I turned to her next instructions, how to store your objects so they can breathe and stay alive and fill your house with joy. My favorite instruction was to take each pair of socks, flatten them out against each other, and neatly roll them up so they stand on their ends. Apparently, socks very much like this position. (laughs) I diligently did it with every pair, and honestly, she was right. My socks seemed much happier. After that, my home transformation was complete, I was convinced, and I became what is known as a Marie Kondo convert with a K. Like any good zealot, I told as many people as I could about Shinto sparks of joy. A few people tried it, too. Most people patted me on the shoulder and said, isn't that nice, Cindy, and kept living in their joy suck homes (laughs) and a few folks admitted to already being tidying converts with me one day however a friend told me that she hadn't gone so far as to roll her socks and stand them on end like they prefer and actually she hadn't clapped over her coats either just kind of pulled the ones out of the closet that she didn't really like anymore Of course, I immediately informed her that she wasn't a real convert. You're just literate, I said, but you're not a true believer, and Marie would be ashamed of you. I mean, I didn't actually say that out loud, 
But I did almost write to our Lord and tidier to let her know how people were abusing her precious instructions. You see, condoing had really worked for me. My home felt more peaceful. I did actually feel joyful when I walked in. And I did not want someone who had skimmed the chapters to claim that they had benefited from this method and profane Marie Kondo. They didn't even practice the method. And so I didn't let them know about my secret Instagram joy, which was searching for hashtag condoing before and after. Try it and be amazed. They didn't deserve those posts. That online community wasn't theirs. They hadn't clapped, and they didn't know anything about real sparks of joy. And so I, like the disciples, had become obsessed with brand purity and perfect method. They didn't want folks casting out demons in the name of Christ any more than I wanted my friend to talk about the spark of joy without properly rolling her socks. They, like me, wanted their community to be strict, true, and consistent. They didn't have room for folks who found joy just from getting rid of a few coats. That's not real joy, they said. That's off-brand joy. That's a cheap imitation of the real thing, and you better cut it out right now. And yet Jesus, as usual, refuses to get on board with anything that makes a community small. Essentially, the disciples go ahead and tattle on those other demon casters. Can you believe this guy, they say to Jesus? He's casting out demons willy-nilly, but doesn't even know your middle name is Harold. (laughs) To which Jesus essentially responds, so what? There's a lot of demons in this world that need casting. Who cares about who does it or how? Jesus is essentially addressing a community that wants to close in. A community that, like Dr. Seuss's Sneetches, wants to obsess about who has stars on their bellies and who doesn't. Jesus says to the disciples, not only do I not care who is casting out demons in my name, but you better not make it harder for them either. Don't put any stumbling blocks in their way and be careful that you yourself don't become your own stumbling block. Jesus is doing what he always does, breaking open a community that has closed ranks to keep less desirable people out. Breaking open a community aspiring towards perfection, breaking open a community that wants fewer and fewer people to hold more and more power. Jesus always does this for any community he encounters. I saw it happen this week in our nation's capital where a small group of women came forward with a spiritual conviction that they were worthy, that the stumbling block of those who would call them greedy or liars didn't matter, and that a community with powerfully closed ranks needed to be broken open. And they broke us open, too. 
to rehear our stories told with courage, and to reform our communities for safety, justice, and true spiritual reckoning. In fact, we could call this kind of thing Jesus' greatest mandate. Break open a community, especially for those who we think are unworthy. Don't put a stumbling block in their way. Don't be the stumbling block yourself. And whatever in you looks with judgment upon any child of God, cast it out. Let yourselves constantly create a community where, like here at house, your utmost ethos is pro-participation, anti-excellence. There was nothing perfect about what happened this week. It was ugly and painful and hard, but it was exactly what we needed. Create always a community where the greatest gift one can give is simply themselves. For when we don't allow others to participate because of some imagined unworthiness, we are at risk of imagining ourselves as better than. And this is exactly what I did with that lackadaisical sock folder. I imagined that since I had perfectly followed instructions, I was a better convert and more worthy to share the good news of Japanese tidiness. This is exactly what that small group of powerful men tried to do to women who wouldn't behave the way they wanted them to. The disciples think that because they follow the real Jesus, no one else can do what he does. But what is it that he's actually doing? Breaking open human communities and making way for the inbreaking of God. A God who participates with us and invites our imperfect participation. A God who won't stand for small, perfect communities. I take seriously the Jewish commandment against false idols. And for me, perfection is idolatry. It is worshiping something that cannot give life, grace, and certainly no mercy. It is worshiping something that closes me to relationship with myself, others, and God. When I strive for perfectionism, I, like the disciples in my human communities, limit my own ability to relate, to be held and healed, to be known. And honestly, this longing for perfection is just human. We strive for perfection as protection against all that can go wrong. But Jesus knows we don't need it. We don't need a perfect community. We don't need perfect training to cast out demons, though I am sure some schooling certainly helps. What we need is exactly what we strive to practice here in this community of punk rock Jesus freaks. We need a way to put into practice the grace promised us by Christ. Where two or more are gathered, there also am I. This is a dangerous and powerful promise. The most important thing is to get as many people in as possible. Draw the circle wide.
When I think I know the perfect way, I limit my access to wisdom, and I become my own higher power. This, this imperfect table is where we get to practice that. An imperfect table that is a celebration of the broken body of a common criminal whose ministry on earth was a dismal failure. And yet we call this a holy feast. It's not a feast because it was perfectly prepared by the most skilled chefs in all the land. It's a feast because we gather around it together and commit to participate first and foremost. If we exclude anyone from this table for any reason, then we only limit ourselves. We cut off voices of those perceived as weak or unholy, and justice becomes an impossibility. This table is meant to be broken open again and again and again. Every single time anyone comes to Jesus with hopes of him agreeing with them about a closed community, Jesus will disappoint. Sorry, he says, a closed community is not a community at all. So wherever you stand today in your relationship to the greatest church motto that ever was, in my opinion, pro-participation, anti-excellence, I invite you to draw even closer to it. I invite you to step forward to this table and celebrate a failure who showed up and tried. And I invite all of you, all your parts, all your striving and failing, nothing is required of you to be part of this community. Forget about the socks. Forget about off-brand demon casters. Forget about perfection. Just come. Serve some bread. Pour some wine. It will be enough. May it be so, and amen. You have been listening to the Sermon Podcast for House for All Sinners and Saints. If you like what you've been hearing and would like to support the ongoing ministry of our church, just go to our website, www.houseforall.org, and click on Give.